technical difficulties. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Dear God, we are so thankful to be here, to be able to um, just look at your word, to be able to understand what you have laid out for us. Um, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to know you and to know your word better, to know ourselves and our hearts. Um, And so, God, we pray that you would just be at work in us this morning. Help us to hear what comes from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, now I've broken down our passage into two main sections, and I was going to write these on the board and forgot. Um, So first we see in verses 15 through 19, Paul's prayer for faithful believers, and then in verses 19 through the end, um, the immeasurable power of God. So let's first look to Paul's prayer for faithful believers. Here we see a glimpse of Paul's heart for the Ephesian believers by looking at his prayer for them. Paul loved this church. He lived there and taught there for about three years before continuing on in his missionary journeys to other regions and cities. Paul was most likely, he's most likely been absent now for about five or six years. Um, And we see that in this first verse, he has continued to hear of the Ephesian church. He's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and of their love towards all of the saints. Faith and love. Calvin quoted on this verse, observe here that under faith and love, Paul sums up the whole perfection of Christianity. This is what the Christian life boils down to. Vertically, faith in the Lord Jesus, and then horizontally, love towards all of the saints. And when faith and love are paired in a church, this is something worth praising God for. Paul is able to do so, to be continually thankful for this church. And now he turns to his prayer of request for these believers. Now, Paul does not pray pray for their ease, for material blessing, for physical health, not even for their present circumstances, which would have been an easy thing to do. This church did not have it easy. As Eva taught last week, the city of Ephesus was a predominantly Gentile area with heavy Roman influence. It was a port city, allowing it to be a hub for trade and commerce, but also for ideas and beliefs. What do they even say now? That the closer you get to a coast or to a college campus, the more secular um, the culture. And this was true in Ephesus. But Ephesus was also home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, um, the great temple of Artemis, or Diana, who was the goddess of fertility and childbirth. And you can only imagine um, the cult practices and the the immorality that would have come along with that. Um, This was a city of great cult practices, sexual immorality, idol worship, and magic arts. So you can imagine that this young church would have faced a lot of pressures. They would have faced external friction and pressure to conform to the cultural norms of the day. And Paul himself is even writing from prison. Um, oh no, it's double-sided. Uh, he's writing this letter from prison. Um, so we know that Christianity wasn't prevailing, um, just as it isn't in our day either. Not only this, but the Ephesian church also most likely had some division and different teachings going on within the church. Um, and we'll see this more clearly as we continue through Ephesians, the focus on unity, and on reconciliation. However, with all of this context in mind, what does Paul pray for these believers? He prays for them to know God. In verses 16 through 18, let me read that now. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So he wants them to be wise in the spirit, to have a revelation and a knowledge of God. He wants them to have open eyes to who God is. 
May God give them the Holy Spirit, reveal to them through his word, and open their eyes so that they may know him. He who is the creator of all things, who chose them before the foundation of the world, who predestined them for adoption to himself, and who redeemed them through Jesus' blood, and who's given them an inheritance to be, to be revealed at a future time, and who sealed them with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as we saw last week through the first half of this chapter. And I don't know about you guys, but I would think that this would be similar to someone taking you up on the International Space Station, and then you look back through the window back at Earth, and you're told, hey, I want you to know that planet. And not just a general awareness of what makes it tick. You need to know more than the names of the continents and oceans, more than a list of historical names and dates and places, more than the names of a few fish and a few birds. But I want you to know that planet, to know the habits of every species of fish in the ocean of every butterfly and honeybee and human being. I want you to know the curves of the mountain ranges and the way that the rivers snake through the lands. Um, I want you to know the wind currents and the ocean currents, when and why a hurricane forms and how a newborn will cry out for its mother. You'd need eternity to understand this task. So as 2 Peter 1 verse 5 reminds us, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And then jumping down to verse 8 there. Um, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Paul has heard of the faith and love of the Ephesian church, and now he's desiring that they know God. Now to be believers, obviously they did know God. um, But Paul is praying that they would know him all the more. As Kent Hughes put it, the great need of any church, healthy or not, is knowing Christ. A deeper, better, fuller knowledge of Christ. Um, This is the key to all of life. We ought to read the scriptures with an eye to knowing him. We ought to listen to preaching with this in mind. And we ought to pray this for the church and for ourselves. As in my illustration of knowing our planet, we could study our whole lives and merely be scratching the surface of knowing who our God is. And Paul knows that our God is immeasurable, infinite, and searchable. And I think this is one reason why he kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit in the first half of chapter one to put on display the majesty and the glory of our God in his plan of redemption. Paul wants us to drink deeply from the living water that flows out of the fire hydrant of who our God is. Now in verses 18 through 19, Paul lists three specific things that he desires the Ephesian believers and us today to know about our God. First, that they may know what is the hope to which he has called them. Second, that they may know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in them. And finally, that they may know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards them. So let's look at each of these a little bit closer. That they may know what is the hope to which God has called them. Hope. I looked up a recent article on hope theory at Psychology Today and was told, research shows that hope is linked to positive relationships, physical and emotional health, and academic effectiveness. Hope involves believing that you have the capacity, the pathways, and then having the resolve to reach our goals. How does this definition of hope jive with what scripture has to say? To be brutally honest, I don't think it does. Um, Sometimes our relationships sour, no matter how much work you put into them. Physical health can be taken from you in an instant. You just might not have the academic ability or the talents to achieve your wildest dreams. I think Utah always jokes, you know how they say, oh, your kids can be anything, like, Shoot for the moon. Tell your kids you're going to all be astronauts. But like, what if your kid just sucks at math? They might not be able to be an astronaut, and that's okay. (laughs) Um, 
they might not have the capacity, the pathway or resolve to meet your needs and even on, or to meet your goals. And even on that, what are your goals? How do you know that's a good goal? Um, why would you give yourself that goal? I mean, when we're left to ourselves, we can't define any of these things. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but worldly hope really is fleeting. It's based on you and what you can do. It focuses on if you can just dream up the right goal, muster up enough resolve, engage your sense of agency, things will work out in the end. And to quote Dr. Seuss, except when they don't, because sometimes they won't. (laughs) What kind of hope is that? I don't know about you, but the idea that all of my positive relationships, all of my emotional and physical health, all of my ability to meet my goals and achieve um, any measure of success, if all of those things lie on my shoulders, I'm screwed. Um, Again, I don't know about you guys, but I would crumble like a chocolate chip cookie if all of these things were up to me. And not only that, but we're told that even before you can start designing your goals and achieving academic effectiveness, um, first you need to figure out who you are. Are you a woman? Are you a man? Uh, What pronouns should you use? Everything has been broken down um, and put up to us to figure out. Okay, so that's for our modern, secular world. But what was going on for these Ephesian believers and in their time? When Paul wrote this letter, I found from one commentator, he noted that in Greek thought, Hope consisted merely of a consoling dream of the imagination designed to forget the present troubles, but yet leaving one with many uncertainties. Uncertainties, that is all our world has left, but not so for the believer. If you have been called by God and redeemed through Christ, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, then you have hope, a sure and steady anchor through the storm. And this is not dependent on you or your abilities, your resolve, but a hope directed towards and dependent upon God. Unchangeable, infinite, good. Our God who has called us, chosen us, blessed us in Christ, adopted and forgiven us, who in Christ has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is directed towards our eternal God, who will protect and ultimately deliver, if not now, then certainly in the future. The ultimate hope for which God has called us is to one day be with the Lord. And to quote another commentator, hope for believers is not the world's wishful thinking, but the absolute certainty that God will make true what he has promised. This is the hope that all believers have been called to. Next, we see Paul's prayer that the Ephesian believers may know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in them. Now, when I first read that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, remember First Peter, remember even earlier in this chapter, like, we've been given a great inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and this is true. Um, but when we look a little bit closer at our text and what it's actually saying, the words that are used, you'll see that the text is talking about his glorious inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints. Um, not only do we have a future inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for us, but God also has a future inheritance. His inheritance is, as our text says, in the saints, church, believers, his children, to be gathered and brought home in the last days. That final day will be both a glorious day of fruition for us believers, but also for our father as he welcomes his children home. Now, I'm going to be honest, before having kids, I didn't really like kids. Um, They're gross. They stink. They're stinky and sticky. Um, They're always dripping with some sort of body fluid that I definitely don't want to touch. Um, 
But then you become a mom, and a lot of that changes. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it does. Um, as I'm sure many of you guys can relate to, now you just want to hold that precious baby to feel their warmth, to drink in their smells, to wipe their ouchies and, and give them a kiss. Um, and I remember when Noah had um, his first surgery a few years ago, um, I was able to lay beside him on his hospital bed as they wheeled him down to the surgery ward and into the operating room. I held him as his body went limp um, and his head lolled over from the sedative. And then I was asked to leave. Utah and I had to go down to the waiting room and wait for the, I think it was only an hour or two, it wasn't too long, while the surgeons cut into our little boy and put in his port um, and then stitched him back up. And that separation gives us just a tiny, tiny taste of what our Heavenly Father feels for his children. What a glorious day it will be to be reunited, to be welcomed into the arms of our loving Father, to the praise of his glory. And finally, Paul prayed that the faithful believers may know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe. We've seen God's power at work in verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, as we saw how God's sovereign plan has been in place before the foundations of the world, how out of love he's adopted us unto himself through Jesus Christ, and how he plans to unite all things, things in heaven and in earth, on earth. We see God's power at work in the past, creating, planning redemption. Um, we see his power at work in the present, in adopting and forgiving and sealing us with the Holy Spirit. And then we see God's power at work in the future, when he will unite all things. And in the final few verses of our chapter, um, of our passage here, we see a continuation of this prayer. For us to know the immeasurable power of God, Paul buoys our faith and trust in the Lord by magnificently recounting how God's power is made manifest in our world. First, we see God's um, immeasurable power in the act of resurrecting Jesus from the dead and then in seating him at God's right hand in heaven. We see that in verses 20 and 21. And then next, we see God's power in how all things have been subjected to the authority of Christ. You see that in verse 22. And then at the end of verse 22 and 23, Paul explains how God's power is seen and how he gave Christ to be the head of the church. I wish we had more time to unpack all of this um, in each of these verses. And, and I'm glad that we get to discuss them a little bit deeper in our small groups. But um, I wanted to just end today remembering that our God is powerful. He's not only created, but he's redeemed. He doesn't sit back, but he is conquered. Um, over the last few months, I've come to find out that one of my cousins, I feel like I'm like telling a lot of stories this morning, which isn't normal. That's okay. Um, one of my cousins whom I love and used to, like she used to live with us for a while. We were like sisters. Um, but she's now walked away from Christ and has gotten caught up in a lot of really dark and twisted things. Um, she's chosen to exalt self-definition and expression and has opened herself up to the practice and worship of the occult and demonic powers. And since I found out, you know, I've, I've earnestly been praying for her um, but I've been really res- reticent to reach out to her. I don't, know, I don't know how to love her well. I don't know how to confront her newfound beliefs. Um, I've been scared to call sin sin and dispute her demonic beliefs. Um, but through looking at our passage, I've been really challenged by that. If I truly believe in the power of God, um, seen through the gospel to have supremacy and victory over all rule and authority and dominion, and above every name that is named, um, both in this age and in the one to come, then I shouldn't have fear um, to come against the spiritual forces of darkness. 
This is exactly the sin and the idolatry that the Ephesian believers were facing. Um, There was idol worship and immorality in their day. And Paul was able to say, hey, so, so I ask you not to lose heart. For we serve a God who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And then in chapter 6, we're going to see, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then I think this is, this is what my heart has needed, to be able to now reach out to my cousin and, and hopefully um, be able to share truth with her and, and, and challenge some of the things that she's believing in. And I think this is true for all of us. I think um, whether it's as, you know, um, clear-cut as, as what's, what my cousin has chosen to believe or not, but um, there are those in our lives who are, you know, against the gospel and, and, and have chosen not to believe it. And so, um, yeah, I think this, this, this the same power of the gospel is at work um, in, in our hearts and lives. And so we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be ashamed of the gospel, um, but know that it, it is the power to, um, at work in those who believe. And that it can, we can now fight against the schemes of the devil. So both the Ephesian believers and us need to know our God. We need to have our spiritual eyes opened. And we need to look at the gospel. Look at the heart of Christ and the spiritual blessings that he has poured out on us in Christ. We need to look at the grace and power of our God at work in this world, in the church, and in our hearts. This is what we need to know in order to not lose heart or be discouraged in this life. It is this kind of power that is needed to survive the satanic, hostile powers and worldly systems that surround us. So as I close this morning, I want to say um, that reading a passage like ours today can help us twofold. I think first, we can be blessed and encouraged by the content of Paul's prayer. Um, We can see, we can set our gaze to know our God, to be set on our future hope in him, to be overjoyed at the image of our Father welcoming us home, Um, and reveling in his inheritance as children. And then we can gaze intently at the great power of our God at work in human history. Because of what God has done, because of his abundant grace and power, we do not need to lose heart. We know the end of the story. Our God has won. So how can you set your mind to know God, to ruminate on his immeasurable power? How can you give God the glory in all things? And how can we as a church ensure that Christ is our head? That we are his body doing his work here on earth for his fullness to be on display for the world. But I think the twofold, I think the other thing that, we've, that can spur us on in this passage is um, it can push us to examine our own prayers. I know that I was particularly challenged by that this week. You know, are our prayers focused on our circumstances or the circumstances of others? Are we focused on the temporal more than on the eternal and yes, obviously, we can be praying for someone struggling with cancer or um, any other circumstantial prayer things. Like, we, we can be lifting those things before our Father. He cares for us, and he holds our hearts, and he cares for those things. But um, let's not do that to the neglect of the greater need of spiritual growth um, and security. We and those around us need to know our God, to know his hope, his inheritance, and his power. I pray that that would be the prayer of our hearts. So let us pray together. Lord God, um, again, we just come to you and we ask for your help. We need your help to know you more, to know your power, 
and to know the hope to which you've called us, to know the glories of your great inheritance to be revealed, Lord. So we pray that during this coming week, Lord, that we would um, just have a fire lit within us to, to be in your word, to be spending time in prayer with you, and um, yeah, that, that the desires and the, the, um, the love of our hearts would be to know you more, Lord. So please help us in that this week. We pray that in your name. Amen. So now we'll turn to the application questions with your small groups.